This morning, I have been asked to talk a little bit about joy. And friends, we have finally arrived at the end of the Advent season. For the past four weeks, we have been waiting and focusing on waiting and trying to be patient as we've waited. And finally, we are able to see the end of the waiting. The celebration of the arrival of the Christ child is so close. But I have something to confess to you. As a pastor, the Advent season is exhausting. It's like you're sprinting a marathon. There are lots of extra things that happen in this four weeks in the life of our church, and we're also getting ready to celebrate the birth of Christ. If we aren't careful, as a pastor, we can just walk right through the season of Advent and forget why we are all here. This time last year, I was feeling all of the emotions. I was celebrating Advent and Christmas in a new state with a new faith community, and I was really missing my family. Now, my family is all pretty awesome, and they all live in the same part of Virginia, but last year, there was one new reason why I was missing them and why I was wishing I was a little bit closer to home, and that reason was my brand new nephew who was born the week before Christmas. He's a much happier child than this picture on the screen depicts. <laughs> this last time last year, our family welcomed this precious bundle of joy into the world. For nine months, we had waited and anticipated his arrival. My brother and sister-in-law took time to prepare their house and took time to choose his name. My parents spent weeks trying to decide what their grandparent names were going to be trying to choose the perfect ones that did not make them sound so old. <laughs> but they are. <laughs> and I watched and celebrated with them from afar, wishing that I could be close by for gender reveals and baby showers. And I found myself thankful for the gift of technology that allowed me to be present through FaceTime with these celebrations, even if it wasn't in person. So last year, Advent took on a new meaning for my family as we awaited for this precious child to arrive. Last year, I couldn't help but think about Mary as she got to the end of her pregnancy. She had been told that the baby that she was carrying was going to change everything. Mary, did you know? Well, of course Mary knew. Mary could feel this child growing inside of her and knew that this child would be incredible. When Mary went to go visit Elizabeth, the child that Elizabeth was carrying leapt with joy when he heard Mary's voice. In this picture, you can see the joy on both of their faces as they celebrate together. And then Mary breaks into song, singing of the magnificence of God and all the things God will do for God's people. Mary must have been filled with joy and anticipation as she grew nearer and nearer to giving birth to this child. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Now, I imagine that as Mary traveled on the road with Joseph to Bethlehem, she was very tired. It's only 100 miles, but when you are pregnant and your mode of transportation is a donkey, it doesn't matter how far you have to travel, you just want to get there. I imagine that there were many people on the roads at this time hurrying to be counted for the census, to them, Mary and Joseph were just a young couple with a growing family. They didn't know that these two would be raising a child who would grow into a man who would change everything. 
I imagine when they finally reached Bethlehem, they were so glad to just have a place to lay their weary and tired bodies that they didn't care it was filled with animals. But then everything changed. In my imagination, Mary finally found the perfect sleeping position and Jesus decided to show up. The child that Mary has eagerly been waiting for nine months to arrive is finally here. This child has caused scandal and gossip in their community already, and this scandal and gossip is just beginning. This year, Christmas will feel different for our family. This sweet, tiny little baby who this time last year didn't even know he was a part of a great big world turned one last week. He is on the move, walking anywhere his feet will take him, even places that they shouldn't. And I love each of you, and I love my job, but I cannot wait to be at home with him in person for Christmas. I cannot wait to be back with this little one who reminds me what is important in this world, unconditional love and overflowing joy. Today, we have lit the candle of joy. If you notice, this candle is different from the others on our table because this candle is pink, which reminds us of the color of roses and the, reminds us of the Mother Mary. When we light the candle of joy, we are reminded that even in our preparation for Christmas, it is okay for us to be joy-filled as we celebrate the birth of Jesus. As we worship together this morning, may our hearts be filled with joy, expectation, and anticipation of the arrival of the Christ child. As we go out into the world, may we carry joy in our hearts and let it ring out in all that we do. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let us sing together with heaven and nature. Amen. There is much to be thankful for in this season. And part of the way in Advent, we try to recall what it is that we have to be thankful for is by utilizing the Advent candle and each week lighting a different candle that is themed for that particular week. The first week, as you remember, is the candle of hope, then the candle of peace, the candle of love, this week the candle of joy. It is significant with each of those four aspects of this season and the way we feel about this season and the way the Bible even talks about how we feel about life in general and how we do things as human beings. We are a hopeful people. We want to be at peace in the way we treat each other. We want to love and to be loved. The Bible in both the Old Testament and the New Testament talks a lot about these three, hope, peace, and love. It talks a little less about joy. Joy seems to be a little more elusive, and while spoken of, especially in the New Testament, it's not as frequently used. It's a little more difficult for us to capture this sense. We know when we feel it, but the word elusive for joy seems to fit. I love the way the second chapter of Luke speaks about what occurs and how we celebrate this season. It starts with these simple words. In that region, there were shepherds 
growing up in that region sounded like some faraway mystical place that had no real connection to the real world. But in fact, it is a real place. Right outside of Bethlehem, a little village called Betzahor, there is a place called the Shepherd's Field. And in the Shepherd's Field, there is a chapel. The chapel was constructed in 1953 by the architect Antonio Barluzzi. Let's all say that together. I love it. Antonio Barluzzi. Uh, this is a, a famous architect for that time and place. He was in many uh, circles known as the architect of the Holy Land. He was famous for a number of different chapels and structures. This particular one you see before you is called the Chapel of the Shepherd's Field. And it's built on the traditional site where the angels were to have greeted the shepherds with this remarkable news. Jesus is born in that region. It was Bet-Sahur, right outside of Bethlehem. And the area surrounding this chapel is very interesting. Kind of rolling hills this time of year. It's in April. Bright green grass, cedar trees have grown up where there once probably was just simply meadows. But in this rolling land, in this place, there's still pathways that lead in and among the fields. And as you walk the pathways, especially up in the direction of the chapel of the shepherd's field, you see remnants of what would have been going on in that day, in that time and place. You come across sheep right there on the road, on the pathways. You have to walk through them to get to the chapel of the shepherd's field. Now, if you know about shepherds, you know that shepherds are out living in the fields with their sheep. Part of the year, that's not a problem. When the weather is cooperating, they have wraps and a number of layers that they can use at night to cover themselves and stay warm. But in inclement weather, especially starting in September, November, December, they tend to gravitate to caves that are ubiquitous in this area. And there's one particular cave that is located directly underneath the chapel. And in that cave, people can go, and you see in this picture, the group that I led in 2014 were actually in, in the cave, the traditional spot where it's said that these shepherds had been keeping their sheep out of the, the wind and the rain. And this was very typical of shepherds then and now, to bring the sheep in with them for protection. They would sleep at the edge of the cave. Today you see there are concrete blocks that have formed a little uh, room, but in those days it would have just been open and they would have slept across the front of that cave, protecting the sheep from animals or intruders. This was the traditional spot, the traditional ways with shepherds and sheep. This cave is located directly beneath the chapel of the shepherd's field. And inside the chapel of the shepherd's field, Antonio Berluzzi had created three particular frescoes. And those frescoes you'll see before you are very important in the way they convey the message that the Gospel of Luke seems to be telling us about the story of the birth of Jesus. And I want to call your attention particularly to this first fresco. Uh, Antonio Barluzzi had in this fresco the, of course, uh, 
feelings that the shepherds must have been experiencing when the angels declare this news to them, the first thing that the angel says is, do not be afraid. Now, in this fresco, there is a dog. Barluzzi was very clever because the dog is sort of the, the consistent piece through all three of these frescoes. Do you see the dog? The dog is in the lower left-hand corner. So your visual aid, we'll see in a moment a close-up of the way that dog is looking. You can maybe get a sense of, of how that dog might be feeling, but like uh, many of the dogs that we have, often the dogs reflect the mood and the feelings of the masters the dog is connected to. The second fresco, uh, look for the dog in this one. Anybody see where the dog is? Lower right-hand corner. Now the dog has another emotion, another sense of feeling, a response to what is going on in this scene. And now, finally, the third panel Barluzzi had created, this fresco. Now the dog also still, you see the dog? The lower right-hand corner. Anybody get a sense of what the dog seems to be conveying? Well, we'll find out in just a moment. We're going to get some close-ups of how this looks. So let's go back to the first panel and the close-up on this dog. And the angels say to the shepherds, do not be afraid. As we've said before, the power of fear in our lives is fairly intense. And the Bible takes quite seriously the situations you and I find ourselves often in and the ubiquitousness of, of being afraid. We're afraid of a lot of things. We respond in many ways, often not so much out of proactive love, but out of reactive fear. The angel says to the shepherds, don't be afraid. For I bring to you good tidings of great joy. Well, the, the dog conveys here the feelings that many of us have from time to time, that sense of what's going to happen next. Fear is important in some ways. It sort of channels endorphins so that we can fight or flight if we need to. There are times when we have to have righteous indignation when injustices are done. There are times when we need to stand up for ourselves. Fear often helps us do that. Fear also can paralyze us. It can make us have decisions that are unhealthy and unhelpful. The angel says, do not be afraid. The next panel, the, the dog conveys now a sense of wonder. A good friend of mine, a pastor in the Washington, D.C. area, I get to see him now once a year. His name is John Burns. We get together for a clergy retreat in either January or February along with about six other clergies, clergy um, pastors, and we, we sit together and we share stories and catch up. We laugh together. We cry together. We talk about our families, our churches, the things that are going on in our lives and, and how things are going we are brutally honest with one another. And in a recent time together, John shared this story about a couple that he was visiting. Hospice had just call, been called in for her. Her name was Janie. He was sitting with them, Janie and Ralph. They were talking about 
having been married for 57 years. And she was talking to John as her pastor. You know, I have been scared to death, not knowing what's coming, afraid of each diagnosis, each prognosis, each chemotherapy. I've been afraid. She said, now there's sort of this sense of things have shifted. And I'm not so much scared anymore as I am grateful. Grateful for our 57 years together. Grateful for our church. Grateful for the many things in my life that I have to be thankful for. I'm not scared anymore. I'm just grateful. Then she turned to her husband and she said, Ralph, do that thing that you do. And Ralph said, what are you talking about? She said, you know, that, that dance that you and Moxie do. Moxie is the 13-year-old German shepherd. Do that thing, that dance with you and Moxie, you know. And Ralph got up and went over, John said, and turned on the music. And he came back and Moxie began to stand up with him and he held her and they started dancing to this music. And they danced a little faster and more, a little more complicated, and Janie just began to laugh. And when the music finished, she looked at John, my friend, and she said, you know, even after all these years, when Ralph and Moxie do that, it still makes me laugh and brings me joy. John said he went out and got in his car and started to drive away after praying and being with them. Uh, driving away, he said he'd driven about five minutes, just about to enter the interstate, and he had to pull off to the side. He said he began to cry. And as he debriefed with us, he said, I couldn't exactly feel what I was, figure out what I was feeling. He said that as he talked to us, he said, I think part of it was just sadness that I love these people. I've been their pastor for 25 years. They are dear, dear friends. And part of my emotion was sadness. But part of my emotion was also truly a sense of wonder that after all these years together, they love each other now more than they ever have, that in the midst of deep sadness, they have a sense of gladness and joy, and they have the audacity to dance. He said, I think my emotion was that powerful combination of sadness, wonder, and joy. And then there is this last panel where the dog clearly reflecting the joy that the shepherds are experiencing in this great news. And in fact, given the job to now go and tell others about what God is doing through Jesus. It was the, in my opinion, greatest Christmas card ever. It was a long time ago when my children were very small. The Christmas card emerged out of an experience where Beth and I had taken our three children to a little town in Missouri where we were having a family reunion on Labor Day. And I remember this as being chaos. 
because two of our children were still in diapers and the third was running all over the place, making messes, and it seemed like to me turning over tables and creating all kinds of messiness. And Beth and I were paranoid, stressed, frustrated. Uh, We, in my opinion at least, couldn't get out of there fast enough. Even though this was a beautiful family and a beautiful time and great food, it was just craziness. And then Christmas came, and we get this Christmas card from one of Beth's aunts. Her name is Auntie, very creative name. And Auntie had sent this Christmas card, and it said these words. It was so wonderful being with you and your family at our family reunion. Your being here and your sweet children gave me joy. And my first reaction in reading those sweet words was, Auntie really needs to get out more. (laughs) It didn't feel like joy to me. But probably in Auntie's older and wiser perspective on the world, there's something about the quiet brush of angels' wings, even in the midst of chaos, that is a beautiful thing and gives joy. In Antonio Barluzzi's panels, this quiet reflection of the second chapter of Luke and the way these shepherds experience the news, there's fear, there's also wonder, even conveyed through Mary, and she sits at this manger And it says, treasured these things and pondered. There's something about the gift that God gives to us, the opportunity to be wondering, grateful. And even as Sarah Robb, the minister, assistant minister with Scott Boulevard, who shared with us, in a beautiful homily this past week in Blue Christmas. Her words were, we discover sometimes in these moments that the human heart is large enough to contain both sadness, craziness, and joy all at the same time. Brothers and sisters, this is joy to the world, that God comes in the midst of our messes blesses us, and gives us the greatest gift of all in Jesus. Joy to the world, and Merry Christmas.